Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome to another episode. We're so happy to be with you. Yes. Hey, Wendy. Yes. I feel like we're official. Why is that? Like official podcasters. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) Because on this episode, guess what we have? What? We have a sponsor. Wow. For the first time. Yeah, other podcasts have sponsors. Yeah, and it kind of makes us feel, I don't know, makes me feel anyway, like we're real podcasters now. I mean, we've been doing this for over two years. Yes. So I guess we are kind of real (laughs) podcasters. But having a sponsor makes me feel like even more of a real podcaster. Tell me about the sponsor. Well, you know about the sponsor. Tell our listeners. (laughs) (laughs) So we have partnered with our dear friend, Rose Sweet. We've known her for over 15 years, right? Oh, yeah. I was introduced to her by Matt Pinto, and I felt like I had met my long-lost older sister Mm -hmm. that I never had But now I did, and we've felt that way ever since. And we want to introduce our listeners to the work that she does. She's an author of lots of books. Um, She's a speaker at conferences. We'll tell you more about that on future episodes. But right now, I want to zoom in on her life coaching. We get so many questions from our listeners that present really complex life struggles. Mm Mm-hmm related to living out as a man or woman the truth of God's plan for marriage, for sexuality, for just life, the Catholic faith. And Rose is a certified life coach, and we are really happy to suggest to all of you listeners out there, if you've thought, gosh, how can I have somebody who could help me personally to live these truths out? We want to recommend to you our dear friend, Rose Sweet. Rose is so accessible. Nothing shocks her. She's just comfortable, and she's journeyed herself and with so many other people through difficult situations with so much hope and realism and practicality. You know, it's really a gift. And she she won't mind me saying that she's been around the block herself. She's had some real life struggles, real relationship struggles, and she came to faith in a way that really changed her. And I've seen the way she's applied theology of the body in what she does. And yep, just can't say enough about Rose Sweet. Whether she was a sponsor or not, we would want to promote what she does. So check out in the show notes Rose Sweet's ministry and her name is so fitting, right? She is as sweet as a rose. Yes. And it's very easy to remember. Rosesweet.com. Check her out. We love her. I think you'll love her too. Is there any update also from the Theology of the Body Institute to share? Yes. We have a TOB1 online coming very soon. You can check out the link below to register for that. That's a, a two-week experience that you can go through over those two weeks. You can go through at your own pace and watch the content, and then we have live Q&As. We've, we've just launched these online courses a year and a little more ago because of COVID, right. and they've been, if I do say so, they've been a global smash. People have been so grateful. People who haven't been able to travel here to Pennsylvania to take a course with us mm-hmm. from all around the world are now able to access the course online, so check out the link to learn more. Ready for a question? Let's do it. This is from an anonymous patron. 
I know the church teaches that some marriages aren't true marriages because of something that was wrong from the very beginning. Yet sometimes these couples have children together. I'm struggling to understand whether God actually willed for these people to, quote, get married so that their children could exist. Wow, that's a great question. And I want to say to this anonymous patron, thank you so much for your monthly support. We were very, very grateful to you for that. Uh, these are these are complex issues. The, the question of annulment, if we can just say a word about that, because that's what this anonymous questioner is referencing. An annulment is not a Catholic version of divorce. Divorce says you were once married and now you're not. But a declaration of nullity, which is really the technical term, annulment is kind of a slang term, really, or, <laughs> or maybe that's not the right word, not slang, but uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, I don't know. I know Euphem what you mean. Euphemism and the declaration of nullity says, despite appearances, you were never validly married. We have this idea that marriage is something that kind of happens to you. You wear the dress and the tuxedo, and at some point during the ceremony, you get zapped, and now you're married. But marriage only happens if you are properly disposed, uh, psychologically and emotionally capable of making the marriage commitment. And there are lots of things that could prevent people from making a valid marriage commitment. So that said... This does not mean that the children of such a relationship are somehow illegitimate. There is no such thing as an illegitimate human being in the eyes of God. So if a person exists, that is proof that God wanted that person to exist. We also have to face and reckon with the reality of human freedom. It is a mystery somehow God works with human freedom, human agency, to bring about his will of bringing children into the world. And we know that God wills for every child to come into the world through marriage. That's his plan. Uh, but he doesn't hesitate to still bring about the greatest good, which is the creation of another life, even through difficult, painful, immoral, and often even horrible situations. This is a sign of God's sovereignty, that he can work in and through our brokenness and still bring about the greatest good imaginable. You know, the way it was worded was, if God wills the children, did he will the circumstances that brought the children into being? And that, I think, is exactly what you're talking about. And I think what we can reflect on is that his ways are not our ways. And sometimes when we're trying to understand and make sense of this world in which we live, this historical situation, historical man, as, as John Paul II says, where we're fallen and yet redeemed, we look at the redemption and we know that God has a beautiful plan for man and woman and for their children. And yet we look at the fall and we see so many of us not living his beautiful plan, and it can cause so many pains and sufferings in the lives of, say, the children that came from a marriage that was not a valid marriage. 
um, or their extended family and their relationships. So all of that we see as historical human beings, and it does cause us questions and struggles. And we want the Lord to just explain it all to us or the church to explain it all. And I think this is where what you just said about the Lord's mysterious will being worked out through human freedom, even wrongly used. Our next question is from a listener named Natalie. Hello, Natalie. Natalie says, when I was a child, my father abandoned us. Oh, mercy. I'm so sorry, Natalie. I've fallen many times by wanting to feel the physical love and embrace of someone, even knowing that it is a sin to fornicate. When I go to God with my wounds, I hear no voice and feel no physical embrace. That makes it very difficult not to look for it elsewhere. How does one deal with not hearing God's voice or feeling his embrace when he is our father? Natalie, first, I want to commend you for reaching out. I, I can tell that you already see there's a connection between your sexual behavior and your, your wound that goes back to that deep pain and sorrow of being abandoned by your father. There is a cry of your heart, a cry of your heart that can only be answered by your heavenly Father. And I, I know you feel, or it sounds from your question, that you feel you can't hear him. He's not responding. You're crying out, and he's not responding. You, I would invite you to consider this. There's a mystery here, a profound mystery. You are in the depths of union with Christ in his cry of abandonment on the cross. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you abandoned me? Years ago, and I, I, I'm sure I've told this story on previous podcasts because it was really important for me. Years ago, I was on a retreat in which I was feeling abandoned by God. And this, this cry came out, and it was ugly. It was really painful. And I let God have it, and I thought I needed to go to confession right away because of what had come out of my heart and what had come out of my mouth aimed at God. And I, I called up the priest. I, I wasn't supposed to meet with him until the next day on this retreat. And I called him up. I said, I need to meet you right away. I need to go to confession. And I told him exactly what I said to God which was pretty ugly. His response to me, which I'll never forget, was good prayer. And I thought he was going to say good confession. And I said, excuse me, what do you mean? What do you mean good prayer? And he said, you are praying Psalm 22 in union with Jesus. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And he said, you don't need to confess that you got real with God. You need to confess that you haven't been real with God and you've been wearing these masks. And it changed my life. That, that experience changed my life, that, that the invitation in prayer is to get real with God. And Natalie, I would invite you into that real prayer of agony. It's the prayer of abandonment. My God, my God, why? Why have you abandoned me? And the paradox here, I said, this is a mystery that you're entering into. The mystery, the paradox, is that in the cry of abandonment, 
you are profoundly united with Christ. Mm. That is like the mystery of mysteries. Uh, John Paul II, in reflecting on that cry of abandonment from Christ on the cross, he says, before this mystery, we can only be silent and lie prostrate. And, and, and every human being at one point or another or many points in our lives will know this prayer of agony, this cry of abandonment. The mystery of mysteries, again, Natalie, is that in that cry, you are deeply united with Christ. Faith alone can really take us into that. You, you, you say you cry out and you don't hear and, and you, you want to feel the embrace. And it is true. The embrace that comes from faith is, is not the embrace of something tangible, of, of arms around us, of a mouth that we can kiss. And yet faith opens up an intimacy with God that is more real than even the embrace of another human being. And I, I, this is not at all to erase the pain, but it's an invitation to recognize in the pain, Natalie, there is a tender embrace of Jesus. And I'm reminded of something Mother Teresa said, uh, at least it's attributed to her, that she knew this prayer of agony very profoundly in her life, this cry of abandonment. And, and but for one or two consolations in the midst of 50 years of a cry of agony, Mother Teresa was living out, we only learned this after her death, Mother Teresa was living out an extended cry of feeling abandoned by God. And this is, this is uh, one of the most difficult truths of following Christ. To follow Christ is to follow him the whole way into that cry of abandonment. How do we know that Christ's cry of abandonment was, was answered? We know it was answered because of his resurrection. Every saint, everyone who gets to heaven is a saint. And every saint, the only entrance into heaven is to cross through that cry of abandonment. And the memory of Mother Teresa was that she, she realized that she was receiving kisses from Jesus in her own cries of abandonment. And she got to a point of, of saying or thinking, uh, you know, if this is the way Jesus is going to kiss me, I'm not so sure I, I want him to keep kissing me. <laughs> and, and everybody can relate to that. And I'm thinking here, is that Mother Teresa or is that yeah. Teresa of Avila? That's Mother, that's Mother Teresa. Mm -hmm. Yeah, every saint goes through it. Every person on the journey to heaven must pass through that cry of abandonment. And, and the, the irony is that it is a kiss of Jesus. The paradox, the mystery, is that that cry of abandonment itself, as crazy as it sounds, is an intimate kiss of Jesus. My prayer for you, Natalie, is that you would know that in your cry of abandonment, you are closer to your bridegroom, Jesus Christ, than you can possibly imagine. He is kissing you right there. He is embracing you right there. Wendy, what are your thoughts? I, I love everything you said. I would just add that there's a lot that can be accomplished through either 
good counseling or good spiritual direction in terms of really addressing specific wounds of your experiences, both in your childhood and in uh, fornication. Those are all you know, real memories that are stored in you that are sources of pain and sources of um, just a, a lack of freedom to live in grace um, that I think, I don't think anyone should expect it to be simple once and done. I said this prayer and now that's all gone. Um, and even the kind of step-by-step addressing of different memories or wounds can be really helped by journeying with someone who understands both our psychology and our spiritual journey. So I just want to encourage you in that as well. And I think even just allowing the Lord to heal one specific memory, understanding that he's outside of time, he can travel with us to those past experiences through prayer and through um, the guidance of a, a spiritual director, the freedom that could come from one experience of real healing can allow just a whole new grace in your life that encourages you. And the Lord will give you time. He won't make you address every single wound all at once. You know, don't be afraid if I start on this path, it's going to be terrible. No, he's so gentle. He knows you. So I just want to encourage you to look around in your life, the people that you know, is there someone that could be a source of just companionship on this journey. Natalie, in that regard, I would encourage you to reach out to Rose Sweet, who we, whom we were speaking of earlier. She, as a life coach, uh, as we said, she's not afraid of anything. She's been around the block herself. She has been on a journey of opening her own wounds in this regard to the Lord, and I would really encourage you to consider reaching out to her. Our next question is from an anonymous listener. He says, hi, I've been a sex addict for many years in my life, and God has healed me. I do not have temptations to look at women anymore. But I do turn away when I see immodestly dressed women because I want to protect myself. I've heard you say that this is not the end of the road. We should be able to look in a different way. How are we supposed to test our heart? I don't want to fall back into lust by looking at women to see if I can look at them purely. How can I grow in this? What a great question. God bless this dear man and the journey he has been on. I I was struck by him saying, I'm not tempted to look at women anymore. And I, I want to say there's, there's nothing wrong with looking at women. Uh, there's only something wrong with looking at women or any human being as an object for our own selfish pleasure. And he he says, and I get it, I get the interior dilemma. I don't want to test this out because I might sin. But I would also say we don't want to live in fear. Think of Peter getting out of the boat. Hmm. That was a test. Like, to discover whether or not he could walk on water, he actually had to step out of the boat. Mm. And there was a real possibility that in him putting his foot on that water, it would not hold him. You know, the whole, the whole you, you can use this as an analogy that I, I believe Jesus is calling all of us out of the boat. And we, out of the boat meaning 
into a new way of seeing, into a new way of thinking, into a new way of experiencing who we are as men and women. This is the invitation of the gospel. The gospel is an invitation out of the boat. And in our own understandable fears, we could think, well, it's just safer to stay in the boat. Christianity is not about safety. Christianity is about being willing to take the risk of love. Love is a risk. Seeing with love versus looking with lust is a risk. Brother, keep your eyes on Jesus Christ and get out of the boat. Mm. Might you sink? Yes, you might. Peter got out of the boat. He had his eyes on Jesus. Then he faltered, looked away, and he sank. Jesus did not say to Peter, what the heck are you doing out here on the water? Get your butt back in the boat. He said instead, Peter, why did you doubt? And so I say to you, my dear brother, keep your eyes on Jesus and do not doubt that you can see. If you get out of that boat and you find yourself faltering, if you find yourself sinking, return to keeping your eyes on Jesus. The drama of the Christian life is not in the safety of the boat. The drama of the Christian life is out there amidst the wind and the waves with all of their threats and dangers, with your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. I also want to mention some of the events that the Theology of the Body Institute um, puts on are really do address this in more detail. Um, Made for More, if you're able to ever attend a Made for More event or Theology of the Body Level 1 course, I find so many of the students, this very issue of how do I see people and and even those that you may be relieved that person isn't a source of temptation, but how do you see yes, that person? Yes. Um, the Lord can really take you on your individual journey much deeper through that kind of wonderful course where that's really looked at. And it's not just intellectually, it's looking deeper into the heart um, together. And I think you should just really, I would encourage you to consider participating in something like that. I want to talk about the flip side of lust here as well. Uh, Wendy, you use this expression, and it's it's a common one where, you know, you'd say, oh, that person's not a temptation for me. Oh, a temptation to what? Mm-hmm. Um, I remember years ago, this is probably 25 years ago, I was at the, at the beach, and I was in a lively battle, to see these bikini-clad women rightly. And I just kept saying to myself, you're a person made in the image and likeness of God. You're not to be looked upon as an object for my selfish pleasure. And and that was very helpful to me. Like, okay, you're a person, you're a person. But I was feeling the struggle. Mm. And then I came upon a woman on the beach who was rather overweight and kind of you know wearing lots of clothing and you know, she was not the bikini model. And I thought to myself, this was just my initial reaction. Oh, good. No temptation there. And I, wait, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. There's a, a flip side of lust, which is just the dismissal of a human being as if you're of no value. And I saw that flip side of lust in my heart that yeah. day. And you were touching on that, mm-hmm. where 
I realized that day, wait, I'm called to see every human being rightly. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't seeing that human being rightly. When we realize how blind we are, we realize we are in temptation, in a sense, with everyone. Mm. <laughs> what is the temptation? The temptation is not to value the person rightly. Mm-hmm. That's the temptation, and it's across the board. What do we do? We, do we just not look at people? Do we just live in a closet for the rest of our life? No, no, there has to be another way to see, not just see, quote, and we gotta say quote here, attractive bodies, properly, but to see, and we got to say, quote, again, quote, unattractive bodies, rightly, to see the person rightly. How does Jesus see when he looks upon every human being, whoever that human being is? I had a dream recently, which I'll, I'll share, and it was, it was summing up for me the battle of, of seeing rightly. And the dream was this. I, I shared in a previous podcast, I think, that I've been on an, an Elvis kick of late. I've been watching a lot of documentaries on Elvis, and I, I find him a fascinating cultural reference point for the sexual revolution. And I like to study these figures because they they have evangelized the world that I'm trying to evangelize. And anyway, that's a side point. But this is why I had this dream. There is a lot of backstage debauchery after an Elvis concert. In my dream, I was a roadie at an Elvis concert, and I was witnessing Elvis going backstage with these female fans, and I knew what was going to happen. And somebody came up to me in the dream and said, do you want me to get a woman from the crowd for you? And I said, I said, no, I'm a happily married man. Uh, I have, I don't want any of that. And he, and he mocked me. This guy mocked mm. me in the dream. And he said, I got the perfect woman for you. And he brought this woman uh, up to me who was in a wheelchair and was um, psychologically and mentally just not correct. Mm-hmm. And from all the worldly standards, unattractive. And he's he laughing at me for my chastity and mocking me said, here's the perfect one for you. Mm. And I looked at her and I said to him, she's beautiful. Mm -hmm. She's beautiful. Do you not see how beautiful she is? And he and several other people who were around him were seeing me seeing this woman in the wheelchair and they knew I was seeing rightly and they started to weep. And then the dream ended. And when I shared that dream with my spiritual director, he said, that's a that's a dream that encapsulates like the last 25 years of your interior mm-hmm. work, <laughs> yeah. your interior wrestling with your own blindness and wanting to come to see rightly. And it's not a declaration that I have arrived, but it's, it's more of a prophecy of where it all goes, mm. that we come to see every human being rightly. What a joy to see people rightly. And we have to undergo many, many painful purifications to enter into that vision. But it is a vision of the human person that Jesus truly wants to give us. When Jesus says, we look but do not see, he also invites us 
to come with him, to follow him, so that we might become one who sees. Mm -hmm. That's right at the start of John's gospel. Come and become one who sees. This is the invitation. This is who we are. This is what we're worth as indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable human beings. And the invitation of the gospel become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they're not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.